word and by the truth of your word. We pray that that will be our focal point today as we worship you through the scriptures. Would you uh, guide the meditations of our heart? Would you imprint your word on our minds? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we'll get to the passage in a minute. I don't know. I had slides, but I didn't get them here until really late, and they didn't work in the first service, so you might have dodged that bullet. Um, but uh, I, I've preached a few times over in Brazil, maybe about five times the last couple of years. That's a little different because you have a translator standing there, and they're translating into Portuguese, and it's a weird back and forth. And really, you only need about a 15-minute sermon because it takes about 35 minutes. So a little different today. I, you can see I went on for 10 tabs and about 20 pages, so you're in for it. And I speak very monotone, so I'll just throw in a wake up every now and then. Um, I, you know, I talked to my dad before today. My dad's been a preacher for um, longer than I've been alive, so 40... I'm 39, so 40, uh, 46 years at least, and he's retired, but retired preachers somehow still preach every weekend. I don't know how that works. Um, but uh, he, he, he's in Israel. He texted me the other day, and he says, how can I pray for you? I said, I'm preaching. And so uh, it led to a revival. My mom had to revive him. Um, and uh, when he came to, he said, you know, what are the elders thinking over there? And mom said, you know, he's on the elder board, and she had to revive him again. And uh, finally, uh, when he came to, he sent me this, all joking aside, he sent me a thumbs-up emoji. So, <laughs> so I toyed around with him a little bit. I'm like, really? I mean, good grief. I mean, that thumbs-up emoji, that's, that's all the advice you're going to give me. And, and uh, so he translated that for me. He said, that means I'm going to pray for you, that you, you stick to the Word, you not rely on your own. Uh, what are, he said cleverness. I thought, yeah, right. You know, I, <laughs> there's nothing clever about what you're looking at here. Um, but he, he said, you know, preach the Word. If nothing else, just read straight out of the Bible. And we're not going to do that, but we're definitely going to hit on a lot of verses today. And, uh, and uh, I hope that the Lord speaks through me and uses me as an instrument of, of grace and mercy and imparts wisdom to you just through me as a vessel. So that, that's my prayer this morning. Um, you know, I told Calissa, my daughter, that I was preaching, and her first comment was, don't embarrass me. And so... <laughs> so uh, she was in the first service, and I, I did not embarrass her. And uh, Levi didn't have the same comment. He just, Levi just kind of doesn't comment a whole lot, just kind of rolls with it. But I couldn't think of anything to embarrass Levi, so I won't do that. But I do want to talk a little bit about Pastor Joe. I think since they're not here, this is the perfect time to talk about him, right? So um, Joe and Jen, they're off in Bozeman, uh, kind of a... Their, their anniversary every year, early February, they head off to Bozeman, and that's a good thing. They, they get refreshed in their marriage and in their relationship with God, and, I, and there's some families here in the church I know who are taking care of their kids, and thank you for doing that. That's a, a real blessing to them, and, but uh, I want to talk a little bit, just briefly before we get into Matthew chapter 7 and the Sermon on the Mount, and this does actually tie into prayer. Um, it ties into our message about prayer today, but I want to share some statistics with you. Um, Statistically speaking, I don't have any, any reason to believe this is true about Pastor Joe. I don't have any special knowledge that, that he's uh, 
you know, that these statistics apply to him personally, but statistically speaking, it is almost inevitable that Pastor Joe's ministry as a pastor will end in a few years, statistically speaking. Also statistically speaking, it's likely that his ministry will end in, in ruin or some kind of casualty. Um, those are the statistics for pastors today. So let me share with you, 70% of pastors regularly consider leaving the ministry. Regularly, I don't know if that means weekly or monthly or daily, but regularly consider leaving the ministry due to stress and burnout. Um, 35% of pastors leave the ministry within the first five years. Average duration that a pastor serves at a local church like this is 3.6 years. And uh, I think Joe's been here four. So, you know, a round of applause. Yeah. Um, but this was the one that really struck me. Only one out of every 20 seminary graduates who go into preaching, enter the profession of preaching, will actually still be preaching at the age of retirement. One out of 20. And so the deck is stacked against our pastor. I mentioned uh, a lot of uh, pastoral ministries end in, in casualty or in ruin. Um, I'm not going to elaborate on, on all the ways that that can happen, but I'm sure you understand the, uh, the ruin of, of power and success and pride and greed and money, um, inappropriate relationships, whatever it is. Um, you know, pastors struggle with those things, or they, or they just become cynical. They become cynical because they see pastors around them in ruin, dealing with those things and succumbing to those things. So why, why am I bringing this up, I guess, even when, when Pastor Joe's not here? Pastor Joe, he knows these statistics, believe me. He knows these statistics, um, and he's familiar with the pastoral epistles, for sure. Um, so why am I telling you this? Well, understand that, that we as a body have an obligation to pray for our pastor and build him up and encourage him. And it's a, good time. it's a good time for us to remember that. I, I know that you know that. But it's a good time for us to think about it. And thankfully, Pastor Joe is aware of it. Um, and God has, has given instruction to pastors in the pastoral epistles. In First and Second Timothy and Titus, Paul teaches and gives, gives these scriptural warnings about these causes of ruin, uh, these catastrophes that befall pastors. And so... I want to go over just uh, one verse that summarizes Paul's teaching on this. Paul summarizes his advice to pastors in 1 Timothy 4, verse 16. You can turn there if you'd like to. 1 Timothy 4, verse 16 says, this is Paul speaking to, to Timothy and to, and to preachers, keep a close watch on yourself and on teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. That's us. So first Paul says, keep a close watch on yourself. What does that mean? Be self-interested? Of course not. Keep a close watch on yourself as a man of Jesus. In other words, pastors should not let the work of ministry keep them from Jesus and keep them from being Christ-like. So you think, well, wait a minute. If I, I think if I served in the ministry, if I was a pastor, I'd I'd be more Christ-like than ever. I, you know, it would be my job to be Christ-like. Not exactly. I, I, I know you understand that the work and the busyness of a pastor with the meetings and the phone calls and the emails and church ministries, children's ministries, uh, 
uh, discipleship, one-on-one discipleship, mentoring, being mentored, uh, you know, meeting with other pastors. Uh, pastors have a, a busy, busy schedule, and this can actually, actually take away from growing closer to Jesus and becoming more like Jesus. Now, Paul's advice is, is critical on this point. It means that Pastor Joe must devote himself to reading the Scriptures and meditating on the Word. It's critical. How can, how can a pastor speak to us for Jesus and about Jesus when he's not hearing from Jesus? Acts 6.4 tells us there is no ministry apart from the ministry of the Word. And so, that's the first point that Paul makes. Be in the Word. Be hearing from Jesus. Pattern your life after Jesus. Paul's second point in that verse relates to teaching and doctrine. Again, he says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. But pastors should not let the work of ministry keep them from learning. Learning. Uh, Paul, Paul exhorted Timothy in, in 2 Timothy, he said, to continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. In other words, it's a continuous process for all of us even for pastors who have three years of seminary. I know it's hard to believe, but uh, they, do, they can't quite teach you everything in three years of seminary. It's, it's a Christian life. It's a Christian walk and Christian growth, and, and it's true for pastors as well. We're all in a constant state of refining and growth. Uh, it's a saying about seminary. Attending seminary is like drinking from a fire hose. And a lot of seminaries, they just, bam, they just throw the Scripture and theology at you and they crush you with learning. But the good seminaries, the good ones, and I think Pastor Joe got this training, the good ones not only teach you basic theology, but they also teach you the tools for continuing to learn and grow as you enter into the ministry and you get behind the pulpit. Um, a, a good pastor in a good seminary recognizes this. And so in addition to teaching the, the theology, they train and equip uh, the, or, uh, sorry, they, they train and equip seminary students. And I, I, I've got the impression from Joe that he really understands that. And so, Paul concludes this verse. We look again at this verse 16 by saying that should the pastor persist in these things, that is, knowing Jesus and greater knowledge of God's Word, continuous learning, the pastor will save both himself and the hearers. That's us. So you and I have a, a vested interest, and I'll just close up this little, this little part, uh, this little introductory part of today's message. But I did want to just give a quick 10-minute talk. I wanted to, to touch on this. Um, we, we have a vested interest in our shepherd and Pastor Joe in his devotion to the Word and to prayer and to sound doctrine and to living like Christ. And so let's pray together now. Pray with me, please. Lord, we just thank you for for blessing us with uh, Pastor Joe, a kind-hearted, sincere, young shepherd to guide us. And Lord, it's, a, it's an honor for us to stand before you today, to kneel before you today, and to pray for Pastor Joe, for his spiritual walk. Lord, we pray that he would have sufficient time daily in the Word and in prayer, that he would continue to grow and to become more Christ-like. Lord, you've given us a young pastor. Let no one despise him because of his youth. Lord, help him to continue to, to be an example 
in speech, and in conduct, and in love, and in faith, and in purity. Lord, it's our honor to pray for Pastor Joe's learning and teaching and instruction and doctrine. We pray that you would continue to grow him as a communicator and a teacher. That you would continue to grow him in his knowledge of the Scriptures. And that he would increasingly be a more effective teacher so that we can continue to grow spiritually by hearing his sermons. I pray that Pastor Joe would practice these things faithfully and immerse himself in them for your glory and for his protection, for our protection, Lord, the body of believers, and for reaching this community. We pray all this for your glory. Amen. So our passage today is in Matthew 7. Let's just transition. I think you'll see that this isn't much of a transition uh, uh, to this passage in the Sermon on the Mount. This is... um, Matthew 7, verses 7 through 12. And uh, these verses are on prayer and on the golden rule. And uh, so let's read them together. Starting in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Verse 11, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Verse 12, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law of God. And the prophets. Well, I, I've spent uh, probably way too much time the past couple weeks preparing for this because uh, that's just what I do. I just tend to overkill things. By the way, it's good to see you, Julie. <laughs> it's been a couple weeks. No. Um, but I want to say, um, as an attorney, some of you are just finding that out. It's not, it's not too late to leave. <laughs> That's why my dad was so disappointed. Um, as an attorney, though, wh- whenever I start conversing with somebody, whether it's a judge or a jury or a mediator or another attorney or just a witness I'm interviewing, I get right to the point. And so that's what I'm going to do today. I, I thought, I've got to do this. It's just what I do. Um, I, I, I tell the judge the point. That way, everything I say after that, hopefully, kind of fits within that paradigm. And so I, I'm going to give you the point that God has impressed upon me as I've prepared for today. So here's, my, here's my summary in one long uh, running sentence. If I can read it. I'm sorry about my glasses, but I'm in between. I don't know. I'll just take them off. Here it is. You ready? <clears throat> as followers of Jesus, followers of Jesus, we are to pray continuously for our needs and the needs of others because through prayer and answered prayer, those are two different things, our relationship with God the Father grows and we are better able to love Him and love others. Love Him and love others. The two greatest commandments, right? 
That's, um, that's what God has impressed upon me this week. And I, I want to just unpack that a little bit as we look at these verses. Um, so let's get started. One other thing I do as an attorney, I'm not a speech giver. It's hard for me to just ramble on and hear my... I'm monotone. I almost put myself to sleep. I just... So I'm much better when the judge finally interjects and wants to start a little back and forth. Okay, then I'm good. Then I can go if some question, you know, I can answer questions. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to be a little schizophrenic. I'm going to ask the question, then I'm going to answer it. I don't want anybody raising your hand. You don't get to ask questions. I don't think. I don't think that's in the Bible. You could probably, you raise your hand, but I'll ignore you. <laughs> um, so the first question is, when we look at that passage, who, who should ask who should seek? Who should knock? That's the first question that I thought we should probably address. Who is Christ talking to in this passage? And you recall back to the beginning of this series on uh, the Sermon on the Mount that Joe started back in the beginning of Matthew 5. We know that Jesus is speaking directly to his disciples, correct? Um, they've they've kind of they've been with the crowd, the multitudes, but then they kind of separate out and uh, Christ begins speaking to the disciples. Now, there may have been some other believers or even non-believers there that were listening on, but this, this message was being given to the disciples, and we see that in the opening of Matthew 5. And so in any event, this message is it's intended for disciples who are believers, followers of Christ, brothers, family. We're talking about God's family. Verses 9 and 10, Jesus describes, uh, he, he, he's, describes the response of a parent when a son asks for bread or for fish. So there's a parent-child relationship there. In verse 11, Jesus speaks of, of uh, parents giving good gifts to their children. And then in 11, he goes on to talk about God the Father giving good things to those who ask. So you can see that we're in the context of the family of God, in the context of parent-child relationship. And, uh, and so we understand that this is the emphasis when Christ is, is speaking to the disciples. He's speaking to them as as uh, uh, brothers to each other and the, and the sons of God. And so, so what that tells us is that prayer is a privilege of those who have become children of God. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believe in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. And so Jesus is speaking here. He's commanding. He's commanding us to pray. There's a command. And he's also giving us a promise, right? A, a promise of, of answered prayer. Specifically for those who call upon the name of the Lord and are saved. And so these are the children of God that he's speaking to. This passage is, is for us as brothers and sisters in Christ. And it only makes sense to us, God's children, that we can come to our Father and petition our Father, that we can have access because we are His children. And so that answers the question of who, who shall ask, who shall seek, who shall knock. <clears throat> the next question is why? Why should we ask? Why should we seek? Why should we knock? Why does Jesus instruct His children to come to their Father this way? You know, God is not dependent on our prayers, obviously. We understand that. He doesn't need us groveling before Him. It, it's not an ego trip um, on His part. Why does God command us to do something that is of no benefit to Him? Well, as always, because it's a benefit to us, right? 
Simply put, our Father in heaven desires a close relationship with His children. Now, you consider the greatest commandment found in Mark 12, 30, which says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. He commands that of us because He wants relationship. Because He knows that's best for us. And in order for us to love Him more intently, it's necessary for us to know Him more deeply. So I want to encourage you, because our relationship with our Heavenly Father grows when we come to Him in prayer, even before He answers prayer. It gives us a perspective in our circumstances. Our relationship with God grows when we come to Him in prayer, and then it grows even more when He reveals Himself to us through answered prayer. And so that hopefully answers the question, why? Why do we come? Because of relationship. So let's move on to how. How should we ask? How should we seek? How should we knock? What do we pray for? Well, I want to say initially, before I get into answering that, it it depends on your situation. Let me read to you from Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Verse 7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So you remember back... It was only a few minutes earlier that Jesus had explained uh, the Lord's Prayer, given that model of prayer to the disciples. It's been a couple months for us because of the holidays, but let's reflect back on the Lord's Prayer. This was Christ's instruction to the disciples. I think, I think Joe called it the disciples' prayer because that's really more apt. It's, uh, obviously, it's not something that we just recite from memory um, as a prayer, but it's, but it's a model of prayer. Um, we study, we study this, this prayer. We model it. Because it's how Jesus told us to pray, and because it's how we can know God better. So let's take a look at it. Let's just take a look at it, little phrase by little phrase. I won't spend too much time on it, but let's just get some perspective on the Lord's Prayer real quick. So when we pray, Our Father in Heaven, what are we saying? We're saying that we understand that we can approach God, our Father in Heaven. We can approach God as a Father who loves and cares for us. Not a, not a tyrant who's indifferent to our needs. We're not coming before uh, an almighty king who is in love with himself and only wants what's best for him. We're coming to a father. You understand the relationship of a parent to a child. Uh, a good parent um, not only provides for physical and spiritual needs, but provides, you know, would give even their life if called to do so. So this, this is who we're coming to. We're coming to the good, good Father. When we pray, hallowed be your name, we recognize that God is holy. He is holy and He is set apart from sin. And we're, we're not. We've been forgiven. Christ died for us on the cross. We're as, we're as white as snow in God's eyes when we accept the gift of salvation, Right? God wants what's best for us. He wants us to be holy. Hallowed be your name. He wants us to be holy and set apart from sin. When we pray, your kingdom come, 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is, is there any other way to recognize God's sovereignty and His power? And that He reigns over the earth. He reigns in our lives. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We, we want His priorities to be our priorities. That's how we want to pray. That's how we want to ask, seek, knock. Continuing, we, we pray, give us today our daily bread. This, this, is a, this is simply the posture that we come in. We, we fall before our knees in the throne room of God and we, and we say, give us our daily bread. We express, humbly, we express our dependence on Him. On God who sustains us from one day to the next. Provides for all of our needs, physical needs, spiritual needs, emotional needs. It's, it's a way for us to acknowledge our limitations when we depend on Him for our daily bread. When we pray for others, for their daily bread, we express love and concern for others. And this has the effect of, of softening our hearts to others. Not just our neighbors, but to our enemies. When we pray for our enemies and those that persecute us, that softens our heart. Joe preached last week about not standing in, in judgment of the hearts of others. When you pray for others, it, it becomes difficult to stand in judgment of the hearts of others and think the worst of them when you're falling before the throne and praying for someone and lifting them up and praying that, that, that they would receive their daily bread. Uh, when, we, when we pray, forgive us our debts as we, as we have also forgiven our debtors, we recognize our need for mercy and forgiveness as well as our willingness to treat others the same way with, with mercy and forgiveness. And, and finally, when we pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, this is just our recognition that, that Jesus has triumphed over sin on the cross. It is finished. It expresses God's control over Satan and over sin, and it expresses our need for protection. He's our refuge. So God commands us to ask, seek, and knock. And that's just a, a demonstration of how we can do it using the, the model of the Lord's Prayer. And just coming to Him in prayer and having access to Him reveals who He is to us. As you read that Lord's Prayer, you, you become much more knowledgeable of who God is and who we are in relationship to Him. Um, you know, there, there are other passages that are, are great to pray. You can really pray most any passage in the Bible. Uh, you can pray it as paraphrasing it and lifting up your, um, your understanding of that passage to the Lord or praying for greater understanding. The, uh, the Beatitudes are terrific. In, in Matthew 5, we started the uh, Sermon on the Mount with, that, uh, with the Beatitudes and understanding what it really means to be more Christ-like. Uh, the fruits of the Spirit are a good good passage to pray. Um, I think it's important when we're considering how to pray, we need to stop for a minute and just reflect on, on the original Greek here. It's in the present tense. Um, when, when, we, when we ask, when we seek, when we knock, it's, it's a continual process. 
it's not a one-time thing and, and then we just kind of wait uh, because in our sinfulness, we, we become frustrated. It's, it's a continuous process of waiting on the Lord and being patient and considering His timing and, and having faith that He knows what's best for us. And so when we pray, it's, it's critical that we do so with patience. The Bible tells us that God's sovereign. He's in control. Psalm 135 says, Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. So it will happen. It will happen in His time. God is patient. And His timing is perfect. And I, I hope that you've experienced that in your prayer life. Our task is just to keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. As it says in verse 8, For everyone who asks receives... And the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. Your prayers will be answered. Um, you guys have been here long enough to know, I, I, I often reflect on uh, the first few verses of Psalm 40, uh, King David's verses. Um, uh, he's basically sharing his testimony um, from the Bathsheba incident and uh, killing Uriah. And... Uh, Verse 1 of, of chapter 40, Proverbs, or I'm sorry, Psalm chapter 40 says, I, This is King David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. I waited patiently, David says. And uh, to the point that he was crying out to the Lord. I waited patiently, and, and, and the Lord heard my cry. He turned to me, and he addressed me finally and heard my cry. It's what he's saying here. And, you know, D David, is, David understands he has access to the God of the universe. He describes his prayer as a cry. He cries out and he waits patiently. And this affirms again for us that God is all-knowing. He reigns in our lives. He knows what's best for us and it's He who should decide when to answer prayer. So what will happen when we ask, when we seek, when we knock? What happens? Let's continue in verse 2 of David's passage in uh, Psalm 40. He finishes saying, He turned to me and he heard my cry. Verse 2, He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Now, God was faithful to His promise. He promises to answer prayer. David was purified from his unrighteousness when God lifted him out of that slimy pit and set him on a firm foundation, gave him direction, established his footsteps. This is just one example of what we read in that passage in Matthew 7 where it says that, that uh, our Father in heaven gives us good things. Here, here David is repenting and he's receiving forgiveness he's crying out to God in his sin and in his shame and in his guilt and he's in God's time he's receiving forgiveness he's receiving God's grace and mercy not only that but God's placing him on a firm footing and giving him direction Verse 11 in that, that Matthew passage today says, Father who is in heaven will give good things to those who ask Him. Jesus here, when He's preaching this, He's appealing to our sense of logic and our understanding of family relationships. 
in these verses, and, and he's demonstrating how God meets our needs. It says, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Why would you ask for bread? Because you're hungry. You have a physical need. You know, a good father is going to give, a good parent is going to give you bread, not a stone that you chip your teeth on. And, um, you know, it continues in verse 10, or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. And why would you ask for a fish and, and not want a serpent? Well, we remember the Old Testament law that, that certain things are unclean, a serpent being among, the, among those. So you have a spiritual need. A good father is not going to slip in some kind of an unclean, unhealthy, unspiritual gift for you. Uh, a good parent is going to give you a good gift. Is going to give you what you need spiritually. Verse 11, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? It's just appealing to our sense of logic. It just makes sense. You know, God, God is the Creator. He's the Creator of all things. He's the Creator of you. He knows you better than anybody else knows you. That's number one. Number two, He's all-powerful. He has total power. He's all-knowing he's all of your circumstances. So not only does He know who you are and have all the power, but He knows exactly what you're dealing with. And if that's not enough, God is love. I and mean, with that kind of combination, why, why wouldn't we fall to our knees when we need Him? Why wouldn't we fall to our knees and petition our loving Father in Heaven? He's our perfect Father. He's not like me. I'm not a perfect Father. My kids know that. I tell them all the time. And if I'm not telling them, I'm proving it to them. So, sorry, Levi. <laughs> That just happened. <laughs> I told him I wouldn't say that. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. I'm not a, a good father sometimes. I have pride issues. I have anger. I have any number of things. But we have a perfect and loving Father in heaven who wants to bless us and wants to give us what we need physically, spiritually, wants to give it to us. And he wants us to ask. He's commanding us because He wants us to know Him better. So I want to point out, uh, you can read this passage and you can kind of come away thinking, oh, I could, all I've got to do is ask. I'm going to, I'm going to seek. I'm going to knock. I'm going to get what I want. You know, it, it, it looks like a blank check maybe to the, uh, the untrained eye. Um, somebody who reads this uh, may not understand that it, it's not a blank check. Some of you who are pulling for, for one of the two teams later today might be thinking, hey, you know, <laughs> this is good advice. Uh, I'll take this before the Lord. Not exactly, not exactly what we're talking about here. This isn't what Jesus is talking about in this passage. It's not a blank check. We know that from Jesus' teaching on the mountain from other passages like Colossians 3 that we are to set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. That's instruction for prayer right there. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. James also writes, uh, You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. That's in James 4. So clearly motives are important when we come before the Lord and we ask and we seek and we knock. Consider your motives. Consider whether your mind is on things above and not earthly things. Consider whether God's priorities are your priorities. 
Uh, it's also important that we're living in obedience when we come before the Lord. 1 John 3 says, Whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. And so obedience is important. Motivations. The things above. 1 John 5 says that we can approach God with confidence and ask anything according to His will, knowing that He will hear us according to His will. So we, we want our priorities to be God's priorities, the same as His. We want ours to match what's important to God. Not just a, a blank check. I want to refer one more time back to that those verses by King David in Psalm 40. And uh, I think this verse 3 of chapter 40 will kind of help us transition to that golden rule. From what we're talking about here, this is all connected. It's not prayer and then separately the golden rule, but this, this all is connected. And I think we can, we, can, we can figure out how by looking at King David's response here. Recall that, he, that God had heard his cry and God had lifted him from the slimy pit and God had placed David on a firm foundation. So what does he do then? Did he hide it under a bushel? No. This is how David describes what happened next. Verse 3, he put, speaking of God, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in in him. So, what, what was the impact of David's prayer and then God's answer to prayer? It was, a, it was this thing called a new song. A new song. What, what's a new song? Do I have to actually belt out a song? You don't want me to. What he's talking about is a, a new chapter in his testimony, a new chapter in his life. A circumstance that we read about earlier, a circumstance that God brought him through. Something that, that he experienced. It was something that he asked for that was answered. It was, it was something that he sought out that was experienced. Something that he knocked on and, and the door was open for him. And so his response is to sing a new song, to share a new chapter in his testimony with others. It's an overflow of his experience with God, the one true living God, our Father in heaven. It, it's an opportunity that David sees here to share what his father has, has done for him and how his father's provided for him. And so he sings this hymn of praise. He tells other people about what has happened, and he gives God the glory. And he says, hey, you know, God did it in his timing, and I was down in the miry clay, and I was, I was struggling, I was crying out, and, and God turned to me, and this is, how he, this is how he set my feet on a rock. These were my circumstances. And others will hear this and they'll put their trust in Him. That's what verse 3 says. It's just an overflow. Can you see how this kind of channels into the golden rule? It's an overflow of our experience with God through prayer and answered prayer. So let's turn to verse 12, the golden rule, Matthew seven twelve. We all know this is the golden rule. I don't think that's anywhere in Scripture, but... It's not, just a, it's not just a slogan. Let me tell you, I assure you, it's not just a slogan. 
I know uh, Pastor Joe has been very careful each time he preaches on the Sermon on the Mount to express that, that Jesus and our Father in Heaven are, are interested in matters of the heart. And this is no different. This, this is really where the rubber meets the road. Matthew 7, verse 12 says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So this is kind of a, a universally understood and expressed golden rule. Um, many people are familiar with it, saved, unsaved. Um, but it's different than, than what you customarily hear. It's different than what a lot of people think. And I, I think for us as believers, we're challenged to understand this differently based on what we know about God the Father. We read this differently than someone who is not a child of the one true living God. Uh, other religions have parallels to the golden rule, and then there are just phrases I thought of like live and let live, go along and get along, those kind of things. Uh, what you do not want done to you, don't do to others. Um, you know, this, this golden rule gets uh, paraphrased in a lot of ways, and most of the time incorrectly. Christ said it in a positive way. It's not a do not do this. It's a do this. It's, a, it's an action. It's a command. It reflects the second greatest commandment, which is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Christ is, is telling the disciples, He's telling us, go and do this thing. This is how you fulfill the second greatest commandment of loving others. It's an action step, and it means to actively pursue the good of others. Not just how you expect to be treated by others, but how you want to be treated by others. It's, it's different than saying, do no harm. It, conversely, it means, do your best. It's, it's different. It's a higher standard that Christ is setting here for us. And we understand it. Because God's revealed Himself to us through prayer and answered prayer. We know God the Father. And we want to know Him more. And this, this command, this golden rule, it places you in a position of a servant, essentially. Not just a servant who goes about doing the bare minimum, only what the, the Master asks, but it, a good servant. Before it's even asked, someone who's looking for, for ways to serve others, that is more than acting in your own self-interest. That is what Christ is commanding here. That's what He's talking about. To actively seek the betterment of others before they even know they need help. And this is the, this is the love that God expresses to us. It's the, it's the overflow of what we experience when we come to Christ and we experience God's grace and mercy and Christ's death on the cross for us. It's an extremely high standard. And it makes sense only to us as, as followers of Jesus. It really doesn't make sense to the world. It makes sense to us. We understand God's generosity in our lives 
So it's out of an overflow of God's grace and mercy in our lives that we are challenged to love others and serve them actively. Well, God, God knows what's best. As I mentioned a minute ago, He's the Creator. He's the Creator. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing of your circumstances. And He's summed up in one word, and that's love. And so, as our Father, He wants to see us do well. He's offering. He's eager to give us what we need. He wants us to be in a closer relationship with Him through prayer and through answered prayer. He demonstrated His love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. God sent His Son, Jesus, to die for us on the cross. Even though Jesus was blameless. If what I just read is a new message to you, I'd, I'd be more than happy to speak to you after the service and share more about what Christ has done in my life and and the relationship I have with Jesus Christ. I pray that, that all I've said today is true according to His Scriptures. I pray that. I challenge us all to become humble before the Lord in prayer so that He can grow us and He can provide for our needs. That we can become more spiritually mature as a congregation. And that in doing so, we can become more suited to fulfill that second commandment, to love others. Let's pray. God and Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to meet together today, to come together as a, a body of believers. I pray that uh, what I've said today is honoring to you, is truthful and biblical sound doctrine. I pray, Lord, that as you place your will for us on our hearts and on our minds, that we would be attentive to it, that we would seek out a deeper relationship with you, because that's what you desire, and that's what you're worthy of. Lord, you deserve our honor, and our praise, and our worship. So we pray that we would be sincere and truthful in our worship and that we would pray with expectation we know that you fulfill your promises Lord you are faithful to us we have no reason to expect otherwise we're so grateful to be part of your body to be part of your master plan to just play a bit role in your epic saga Thank you that you love us so much to give us access to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.